Your life is an opportunity. We live deliberately, relentlessly pursuing our goals. We don't settle for mediocrity. We work towards greatness. We are mindful of the process, but we demand results. We embrace our role as leaders, and we lead by example. There is no finish line. We are leveling up every day until the end. We are real men doing real work and getting real results. This is the path to excellence. Welcome to the Path to Excellence podcast. Uh, Today, it's not only me and Anthony, but we have a special guest, Dr. Phil Ovedia at iFix Hearts. He is a heart surgeon and an author of Stay Off My Operating Table. And you've probably seen him on Twitter and other social media appearing on a lot of podcasts. So we're really happy to have him here today. Uh, so me and Anthony are happy to welcome Dr. Phil Ovedia. How are you doing today, Phil? I am good. Great to be here with you guys, Jeff and Anthony. Good to talk with you again. Absolutely. Super happy you chose to come on. And uh, I think what prompted the interview is I just signed up for a Drop the Sugar Challenge. And uh, the group, the Fraternity of Excellence, I've seen some guys jump into it. And we're excited to learn about eliminating the sugar from our diets because you know, that's a battle that goes on for years and you try to limit it and uh, interested to have a new take on it from someone that knows what they're talking about. So tell me a little bit about what you're working on right now with the sugar challenge. Yeah, sure thing. So, you know, the ditch the sugar challenge, uh, which is uh, kicking off uh, tomorrow as we're recording this, um, is a 21 day challenge that I'm doing uh, to help people uh, eliminate sugar from their lives. And You know, ultimately, when we look at uh, the harmful uh, parts of our food supply and we try and figure out, you know, what is causing our health uh, to have gone so wrong, um, sugar is one of the things that continually jumps out. And, you know, it's not the only thing, uh, but it's certainly one of the major things and, and sugar consumption has has risen exponentially uh, over the past uh, 50 to 75 years. And with that, our uh, incidence of uh, disease has uh, risen uh, so uh, dramatically. And uh, one of the other things that I think makes sugar so important is that once your metabolism is broken and once you are metabolically unhealthy, uh, sugar is clearly something that can't be tolerated. And the statistics show that 88% of the adults in the United States are metabolically unhealthy. And therefore, they are in the category that should not be consuming sugar. Uh, So that's why I think it's so important to uh, focus people on sugar as one of the components uh, that is harmful in our food supply and to come together uh, to try and strategize as to how we can all uh, eliminate it. Yeah, you know, some of the statistics you just mentioned about the rise in sugar, sugar usage, that kind of uh, explains a lot when you look at a picture from the beach from 1970 or 80, or you look around today if you're out in public and, you know, the size of people has changed. And it, I think it's probably directly related to the sugar consumption. But Anthony talks frequently about uh, gut health issues, and I'm sure you have lots of opinions on sugar as well. What uh, what say you, Anthony? Yeah, man. No, I, I love this. Um, I want to know how much time we have because I have so many questions right now (laughs) and uh, i think it's great that we can have you on and talk about obviously men's health uh every human's health but i think it's important we need to have this conversation we we need to move away from 
what is unhealthy, what we can be doing in our lives, you know, quick fix solutions. Everybody's looking for the next quick thing. And um, I, I always think of things long-term, right? When I talk about parenting, it's instead of punishing, yelling, and hitting, let's figure out how we can build a relationship in the future that is built on connection and growth. We need to look at our health the same way. Um, you were talking about sugar. So I've heard studies about you know how it's more addictive than cocaine when they do it with lab rats. But I also, through my studies and understanding, man, it's, it's also hidden in everything now. There's things like sucralose and all the energy drinks. And can you expand on that? Like, why don't they just call it sugar? Why is everything a, a hidden label? And is it is it almost like a, a real covert attack on the health of people? Or do they just not know? Yeah, no, I think it really is an attempt to, uh, you know, confuse and to hide and to get around, uh, you know, the regulation. So um, one of the things we're going to share uh, in the challenge group is uh, a list of 61 names uh, that sugar uh, can go by uh, in food and uh, in ingredient lists. And, um, you know, they recently, uh, I forget exactly when, but within the past few years, you know, they had made some changes uh, to the um, food labels, to the nutrition labels um, here in the U.S. Uh, and they actually separated out, they now list sugar uh, well, they first list total carbohydrates, and then they list sugar, and then they list added sugars. Uh, and again, this is another uh, kind of trick to make us think, well, if it's not an added sugar, it must be okay. You know, if it's a sugar that's just naturally occurring, then maybe it's okay. And, um, you know, also kind of confusing the fact that all carbohydrates break down to sugar in our body. So it really doesn't matter, you know, what sort of form that starts it. But ultimately, you know, the food industry uh, is not concerned about our health. They're concerned about their bottom line. You know, they're a business. And uh, they know, like you said, that sugar is more addictive than, than heroin or cocaine. And so they want to get it in the food so that you will buy more food. You will eat more food. Uh, and, you know, if they just called it all sugar, uh, it would probably be easier for people to recognize and eliminate. And by, you know, making it into these other things and, you know, the, the different names do reflect the fact that it has been processed in a different way or it might come from a different source. Uh, but again, our bodies, our livers in particular, which is where this is important, only recognize it as sugar ultimately. And so uh, you can call it whatever you want on the label, uh, but our bodies are going to treat it the same. Anthony went right for the jugular immediately with the energy drinks. <laughs> I know some people are taking that personally, but yeah. that's got to be one of the worst things for you. Right, doctor? Oh, yeah. You know, uh, any liquid form of sugar uh, is really the worst, you know, the worst way that we can consume sugar. At least, you know, when sugar is in a piece of fruit, um, it's, you know, bound with some fiber and, you know, it gets absorbed a little bit more slowly, not saying that it's beneficial, uh, but it's less harmful than just basically mainlining the sugar by putting it in a liquid form that just goes right, you know, gets absorbed quickly and it's right to your, uh, you know, bloodstream and your liver and, uh, your body has to deal with that onslaught 
so, you know, uh, energy drinks, uh, soda in general uh, is probably the most harmful way that we consume sugar uh, in our diets. I don't know if I believe that. I got a good stat for you. Is, uh, the top performing stock over the last 20 years is Monster Energy, MNST. Wow. It, it outperformed Amazon and some of the other high flyers in the last two decades. But um, it, it's kind of scary to think about because... It's almost we, like it's we, addictive. We all know some people that drink too many energy drinks. You know anyone like that, Anthony? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. No, so I, I just want to get the facts straight. When when I crack open a, a Monster and I drink it, that that rush, that feeling, that that's not good for me is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. Okay, you I just know, wanted to clarify that. That's not good for you. And, um, you know, uh, again, it's a whole lot of sugar really quickly because no one no one sips their monster either. You know, like you said, you crack it open, you slam the monster. uh, And, you know, so you're just you're really just mainlining that sugar and it's a bolus of sugar. And it's interesting, you know, um, we the, the standard test. Uh, for diagnosing diabetes is something called the oral glucose tolerance test. And the way they do that test is they give a liquid solution of sugar. Um, It it doesn't taste as good as Monster. It's uh, not a pleasant test to do. uh, But, you know, they that's how they get the sugar in you quickest. Um, because, you know, the only other way that you could probably get sugar into your system even quicker is, you know, as an IV, uh, you know, which is what they do in the hospital if they need to get sugar in you quickly. Uh, so, um, you know, uh, you know, healthy, the, 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 the point doesn't need to be said again, but drinking sugar is the worst way that we can consume sugar. Yeah. One of the words that really jumps out to me is uh, addiction, you know, and I, I used to, I consider myself addicted to alcohol before I got sober nine years ago. And looking back, it, it seems, even though alcohol is in your face everywhere, you can choose to completely eliminate it and walk that road and that's your path. But I feel like, you know, there's such an onslaught of sugar at every level. We say eliminate sugar. Can you completely eliminate sugar from your diet? Is that um, a reasonable goal, an attainable goal, something people do? Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, carnivore diets are, uh, you know, uh, people have successfully maintained, uh, you know, zero carb carnivore diets uh, for um, long periods of time. And there are, there are um, societal examples, you know, societies that, that never contained, uh, never consumed uh, sugar uh, of any sort. Now, you know, different than alcohol, it's always interesting to me, you know, the messaging around other addictions, around alcohol addiction or tobacco addiction uh, is, you know, you need to eliminate these things completely. Uh, And, you know, people will say, okay, well, alcohol is not essential to life. Tobacco is not essential to life. Uh, So, you know, you can eliminate that. Uh, People will make the argument that sugar um, is essential to life. Uh, but the reality is it's not. Our body can make glucose. Glucose is what we do need uh, as an energy source to survive. Uh, but our bodies can make glucose. Uh, so it is not essential to consume sugar in any form. And like I said, carbohydrates all break down to sugar. 
Now, most people don't need to go to the extreme of completely eliminating carbohydrates, uh, but it is an option. You can survive not eating carbohydrates. So uh, I at least want people to recognize that. And like other addictions, um, what we need to recognize is that if you're consuming a little bit of sugar, if you're trying to you know, control your sugar intake, uh, that oftentimes increases your cravings for it. Uh, and, you know, my personal experience uh, was, you know, even when I was doing a very low carbohydrate diet, uh, I still was craving carbohydrates. Uh, once I eliminated them and, and switched to a, a carnivore diet, a car, you know, a zero carbohydrate diet, uh, that's when my cravings finally went away. Now, today, you know, a couple of years later, I can now tolerate uh, carbohydrates in small amounts and not set off those same cravings. And that probably has to do with the microbiome and, and you know, probably some wiring in our brain. Uh, but for the person who is addicted to sugar, which is many of us, uh, probably elimination is the best strategy like it is with, you know, like we uh, apply to so many other addictions. Do you want to talk about the microbiomes, Anthony? Thanks. No, I want to. I want to talk about the um, integrity and, and honesty of, about these issues. So we were talking about before how they hide sugar, and when when you're speaking about going carnivore, right? I, I'm sure there's skeptics who'd be like, "Oh, but you know, what about cholesterol? And you're going to have a heart attack because of that." And there's all these excuses or all this speculation. Um, but it's not like you're you're making up different names for the diet you recommend, right? You're not trying to hide that you're eating meat or you're not trying to call it by a different name. You're saying, this is what I do. This is what I'm about. And this is what works. And I believe we're missing that because even the food industry, if we want to say they're, the, they're corrupt, who's regulating them? Who's in control? Who's pushing this stuff and putting on the shelves? So my initial thought is if you want to be a strong, healthy man, you need to take control of your life. You need to take control of what you're eating. You need to talk to other men who are smarter than you and let them tell you what works for them and what they've learned. And we, we need to stop believing or um, trusting the people who are lying. So, I mean, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole completely, but that's just where my mind goes, man. It, it, it seems so simple to me. Yeah, you know, I think the, the larger concept here is that if you want to get results that are different from everyone around you, you need to do different things. And if you do what everyone around you is doing, you're going to get the same results. You know, if you're eating the same standard American diet, you're going to get the results that come from that. And those results are, are not good and is not what, you know, most of the people listening to this uh, show are going to want. So um, sometimes it's hard to be different uh, but it's necessary uh, to be different if you don't want to just end up like everyone else. So speaking of what, what people listening to the show want, I know they're always looking on how to teach their kids these things in an effective manner. How do we teach our children about nutrition? And um, how do we even uh, position sugar to them? Because obviously some kids like sugar. Uh, I know mine like some ice cream and, uh, you know, whatever. So how... Um, how have you gone about trying to educate your children to make the right decisions regarding sugar and carbohydrates and nutrition overall? 
Yeah. So I think, you know, first and foremost, it starts with demonstrating the behaviors, you know, kids watch what we do as parents uh, and as fathers. And so, you know, first and foremost is demonstrating uh, what you want them to emulate. And then it's having that conversation. You know, it's not like Anthony was saying, you know, the, it's not to just say you can never have sugar. Because, uh, yeah, that's not going to work. You know, as soon as they're out of the house, they're going to go find the sugar then. Uh, but it's talking to them about what the effects that sugar has on their bodies are and, you know, educating them to the point that they can start to make those choices for themselves. Uh, the good news is that, you know, kids generally uh, are going to be uh, able to better tolerate sugar. Uh, than adults are, you know, they're growing, they're active, uh, they're going to be able to tolerate it. But we also have to recognize that there is a alarming uh, increase in the rates of childhood uh, diabetes, type two diabetes, um, which previously was an adult onset disease. And now we see it at, in, you know, epidemic proportions in uh, teenagers and even preteens. Uh, so it's necessary to educate our kids. It's necessary to talk to them about, you know, all the stuff, the birthday cakes and the, you know, the the food that's served at schools. Um, unfortunately, you know, again, schools largely follow the U.S. dietary guidelines and uh, over time have shifted to higher carbohydrate diets. Uh, and then we see, you know, alarming things like, uh, you know, New York City schools that want to eliminate uh, meat from you know, the school menu two days a week now, you know, they have meatless Mondays and then they have their Friday. They want to eliminate meat as well. Uh, and again, that's just going to push more and more high carbohydrate, high sugar foods uh, on these children. So, the, you know, you're not going to be able to avoid it. You're not going to be able to, you know, hide it or shield your kids from it. We need to talk to them about it and educate them about it and be honest about their, you know, what the effects are. You know, I am not shy about, you know, going through old pictures with my children and, you know, they say, look what daddy used to look like. And, you know, I talk to them about daddy used to look like that because, you know, that, you know, daddy used to eat differently. And uh, it was only by changing what I eat, you know, that I got healthier. Uh, so. I think that's the best way that we can handle this with our children. I love that, you know, being able to reflect back to who you were once were to who you are now. So, you know, you talk to your kids and you're like, dad, how do, how can we can see a jawline now? And you're like, well, because I, I chew, you know, medium rare ribeyes now instead of drinking kale smoothies. Right. Yeah. So we have that conversation on what works. Um, but I find it, it's disheartening when you talk about the schools that, you know, I, I can't, I, I just don't understand why they don't or why they won't give kids healthy food, like why this thing is continuing on. And it's the Department of Education. They, they should know better, right? They should understand what's going on, especially with the children. So uh, that, that stuff makes me mad as hell. It, it really does. Um, but I wanted to share, we, we were talking about addiction and sugar before. And something I noticed a long time ago as a dad when my kids would have their friends over when they were younger. So we had snacks in the house. We, we never tried to restrict, and but we always gave them good options, right? Carrots, apples, um, just eating healthy. What we thought at the time, it's completely different now. 
But I remember their friends would come over and they would completely raid the cookie cabinet and they would eat like six boxes of cookies. And because when they go to their house, they are told, no, you can't have this. We, you know, we don't eat like that. So I think there's, there's a big thing between the, the uh, restriction and how that shapes our diets. And I think if we don't beat ourselves up and beat our, beat our kids up, and I don't mean physically beat them up, but like beat them down and, and telling them what they can't do. But we need the same way you're explaining this to us. We need to explain that to our kids. It needs to be dialogue, communication, right? We, we can't expect to say, you don't eat that. And then our kids are like, oh, okay, thanks. And they're going to be healthy. We have to, like you said, be the example, make sure we're eating healthy. But more importantly, just take the time to sit down and, and explain that the Department of Education doesn't care about you. And we're going to figure out better things to eat and we're going to get you healthy. So it's, it's crazy. The Path to Excellence podcast is not just meant to be listened to. You got to get involved. Jump in the Facebook group, Path to Excellence, our private free Facebook community, which is your look inside of the Fraternity of Excellence where we're doing the work. Join Path to Excellence on Facebook today. Yeah. And one of the other, I think, important things is, is giving them the tools. And again, this applies to adults as well, you know, teaching them how to uh, cook, you know, foods and, and, you know, how to select foods that don't have sugar, teaching them, you know, some of the stuff we're going to do in the challenge, how to read the food label, uh, you know, how to read the uh, ingredient list uh, to understand uh, what's in this stuff. And then just giving them other options. You know, it's, it's really amazing that, you know, if you give kids steaks, uh, they generally love to eat steak. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, so if, if that's an option for them, uh, you know, a lot of the time they're going to choose that as opposed to, you know, something else. Uh, but, you know, you're right. Uh, sometimes they go to, you know, um, other people's houses and, uh, you know, it's not available and and they start into it. And, you know, in some ways I think kids are even more maybe prone to the sort of uh, addictive component of this in that, you know, once they start eating, you know, a cookie, then they're going to want the whole, you know, box of cookies. Uh, I know I certainly did when I was a kid uh, and even when I was an adult until I changed my ways. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a matter of education. I think it's a matter of giving them tools uh, to understand and then just, you know, making them attuned to their own bodies, their own feelings. You know, how do you feel after you eat the sugar? You know, how do you feel after you come home from the birthday party and you had the cake? And, and most of the time, you know, they start to recognize they don't feel so great. And so they'll start to regulate themselves. Yeah, for me to start making good decisions, I always have to know like the why behind it. And it's uh, my favorite part of your book is like when you're reading, staying off my operating table, you start to put the pieces together and tie some loose strings about like the whys that these foods are better for you and the whys that some of these foods might land you with an appointment in your office, which you're looking to avoid. So, I mean, is that where you think most people get it wrong? Is the sugar or just a general misunderstanding of the right thing to do? Like they know it's bad, but they don't even know the right alternative. And then yeah, actually- that, that, that's a huge problem these days because there are so many conflicting messages and confusing messages. And so, you know, ultimately what I tried to do in the book was, you know, give people that one sort of powerful idea of just eating real food. Because uh, when you start with that, 
Um, you know, yes, there's some sugar in things like fruit, uh, but for the most part, um, sugar is fairly limited in real food, uh, in the food that occurs in nature. Uh, so, you know, I think that's still a good place to start. Uh, you know, what I've ultimately found is that people need the different um, strategies, the different ideas. Uh, so, you know, for some people, it's going to be okay, just eliminate sugar. Uh, and that's going to, you know, steer you towards eating real food. I mean, you know, it's, it's really hard to find sugar-free processed foods, uh, ultimately, uh, you know, and, uh, so, uh, all of these things ultimately lead back to the, to the big idea, which is just eat real food. Uh, but people need different ways to get there. Yeah, no, I, I find it fascinating that we, we live in a culture, like you said, where people are more obese than ever. Right. And, and there's, so the, I, I think the obvious is looking at a person and saying that they're, you know, they, they have a higher um, chance of having heart problems, right? Heart disease, cardiac um, issues because of their weight, because of the size they are, um, they're, they're less active. One of the things I think about often is, is the people I know who were very fit, who were lean, they used to run and they would still have a heart attack. How do you describe that outlier, that, that person who seems like they're in shape, but then they end up on the operating table with three you know, arteries that are 80%, 90% clogged. Yeah. So most of the time that has to do with uh, hidden uh, metabolic problems and hidden insulin resistance. And, uh, you know, many people will have heard uh, the term skinny fat or uh, TOFI as it's called, thin on the outside, fat on the inside. Uh, and, you know, even though you might be uh, lean and you might be active, um, you can still have metabolic problems. And a lot of times this goes back to, you know, how are you fueling that activity? And, you know, a lot of uh, people who do endurance type, uh, you know, events uh, or, you know, just uh, any sort of performance are fueling that with a high carbohydrate diet and, you know, using things like the energy drinks we talked about or the, the goos and, you know, all the stuff, you know, you got a carb load before the events, uh, you know, that we've all heard. And uh, so, you know, while they don't look like it on the outside, on the inside, they're metabolically broken. Uh, they're oftentimes insulin resistant. And that is, you know, what can lead to uh, heart disease and these people having heart attacks. So okay. kind of one follow up to that. <laughs> so the, the athletes that we see, these top tier high level performers that are, you know, we're, we're hearing in the news that they're they're. Uh, fainting, dying, right? They're having cardiac problems. Uh, would you say that this is a sugar issue or maybe there's some other uh, underlying thing that's going on? Well, we've certainly had a recent, uh, you know, uh, uh, wrench, I guess, thrown into the machinery. And, you know, COVID, uh, had, COVID is known to cause um, blood clotting issues, uh, the spike protein in particular. And whether you get that spike protein from, you know, getting infected with COVID or whether you get that spike protein from a vaccine, uh, that seems to be leading to its own set of issues. And so there's certainly concern uh, that the recent uptick that we've seen in heart disease, and there has been a noticeable recent uptake 
uh, uptick in the incidence of heart disease. And it especially seems to be occurring in younger people as well. Uh, you know, there's, there's that concern as well. Now, what I would tell people is um, that, you know, being metabolically healthy, getting yourself metabolically healthy, eliminating sugar uh, and, you know, fixing your insulin resistance is going to better prepare you to deal with any of that stuff that might occur uh, as well. And, you know, one of the most noticeable things, one of the, the data points that was obvious very early on in the COVID pandemic was that if you are not metabolically healthy, if you're insulin resistant, if you're metabolically sick, uh, that was putting you at much higher risk of both getting infected in the first place and then having, um, you know, negative outcomes uh, once you were infected uh, with COVID. So ultimately, I look at COVID, it, it should have been, it was another warning sign of we need to address our metabolic health problem. And unfortunately, you know, like has happened repeatedly in the past, it got hijacked as we just need to pharmaceutical our way out of this. Uh, and uh, I, I would put forth that that didn't work out too well for us. Worked out for some people. I mean, <laughs> the, well, yeah, the, the, the pharmaceutical companies. <laughs> the incentive fight out once again. Who, who could have seen that coming, Moderna? Um, so are there ways to test your metabolic health, like with blood tests, or is it really your body fat, or what's the best way to get an idea of how metabolically healthy you are? Yeah, so I usually have people start with five uh, basic measures. Uh, two of them you can do at home, so measuring your waist circumference and measuring your blood pressure, uh, and then uh, three basic blood tests, your fasting blood glucose level, your HDL cholesterol, the so-called good cholesterol, and then your triglyceride levels. And those five measures are a very simple way uh, to start figuring out your metabolic health. Um, if anyone needs the numbers, they're in the book, or you can just go to ifixhearts.com. Right on the front page, we have a free uh, quiz that you can take, uh, and it will you know, march you through those uh, parameters and show you whether or not you're metabolically healthy. So yeah, well, not your biceps. You don't measure them. I, I've heard yeah, that you don't need to measure your biceps. Yeah. Okay. Um, you, more importantly, for people to understand uh, your LDL cholesterol, which is, you know, maybe the only thing that your doctor is going to talk to you about has nothing to do with your metabolic health. Uh, so, you know, uh, figure out those five parameters. And again, most people that have had basic blood work done will have had that checked. Uh, many places you can just go get the blood work done yourself if you want to. Uh, and then uh, the two other measures that you can do at home uh, are a real simple way to tell if you're metabolically healthy. Jeff, is your cholesterol good? Uh, I assume it is. <laughs> so um, one thing I really want to ask, because I know people are thinking like, how does uh, weight training or strength training play into uh, protecting your heart and keeping it healthy versus endurance running. Yeah. So I believe that building muscle is the most building and maintaining muscle is the most powerful thing we can do to help our metabolic health. And it helps our metabolic health in two, uh, unique ways. Uh, the first is that muscle is a very metabolically active tissue. So when you build more muscle, you're going to be burning more energy throughout the day, even when you're sleeping. 
uh, you know, your muscles are going to be burning more energy. Uh, so that's going to help you on a metabolic health front. And the other thing is that um, muscle is actually one of the places where our bodies can store excess sugar. Uh, so, you know, the more muscle you have, uh, the more kind of storage room that you have for, you know, if you are consuming sugar uh, before it starts to, you know, spill over uh, into your bloodstream and start to cause problems. Uh, so that's why I emphasize building and maintaining muscle. Um, if you want to do cardio on top of that, great. Uh, but we should all be prioritizing the resistance exercise, the building and maintaining muscle uh, when we're thinking about how to construct our uh, exercise time. This is something that I've just learned more and more as I get older is uh, you really can't listen to um, common knowledge and conventional wisdom. You really always have to dig deeper. And, you know, if, if your doctor tells you something, you should probably research a little bit on top of it just because so many, so much of what you hear, you know, I thought being vegetarian and doing endurance running would, would have kept me the healthiest for a long time until I looked a lot deeper and found the real answers. Yeah. And again, this goes back to, as we discussed earlier, you know, just kind of look around at the, at the results that, that the mainstream advice is getting. Mm -hmm. And if you're not happy with those results, then you have to start seeking out other, uh, other information sources, other advice. And, you know, when we do look into uh, the science behind these claims, or I should say the lack of science in many cases behind uh, this dogma uh, that gets taught, um, you start to see why it's not working uh, because it's really not, you know, grounded in science. It's, it's, it's motivated by other forces. Uh, you know, things like business interests and, um, you know, um, mythology. The, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it, it borders on religion, you know, some of these things. But, you know, uh, and, and veganism is a perfect example. You know, uh, veganism was born out of a religious belief. Uh, we there was there was. You know, when you go back historically, uh, you know, uh, evolutionarily, uh, there are no, you know, long term vegan uh, societies uh, that you can find. Uh, and, you know, veganism, vegetarianism, it, it came out of religious beliefs first. And then it's sort of been reverse engineered, I guess you could say, into a uh, into a supposed health pursuit. And to be clear, um, you know, what I say about vegans and vegetarians is at least they're paying attention to what they're eating. And for the most part, it is going to be better than the standard American diet. Uh, so, you know, it is a start, uh, but, you know, the messaging behind it um, uh, is not necessarily grounded in health. And I don't think it is the most healthy way for us to live, uh, but it is an improvement over the standard American diet. And so that's how it's been uh, sort of promoted uh, from a health standpoint. Well, because you're removing all the chemicals, basically, right? So whether you're eating, uh, let's say, healthy choice of meat or uh, fish, wild-caught fish, grass-fed meat, if you're eating organic vegetables, and obviously it's it's a one-ingredient food, it's not processed, so you do eliminate um, the, the, the chemicals, the hormones, all the crap that goes into the, the system. And, you know, Jeff brought it up before with the gut health, 
And um, I, I think to, for me and all the things that I went through, I know that being sick and having a parasite and, and dealing with issues like with leaky gut, it made me going through that pain made me really get fine tuned to what I had to eat and being um, aware of what foods made me not only feel good short term, but over a sustained amount of months sticking to a strict diet because I wanted to feel well. I wanted to be strong. I wanted to be able to, to be healthy and, and vibrant. Um, to me, it's weird how you see all this, this obesity and all these people who they're not only does it destroy your body and your metabolic health, it's destroying our minds, right? It, it's giving people brain fog. It's causing stress and pressure, hypertension, all these things. These people are walking around like zombies, and again, going back to what I said in the beginning, it's all instant gratification. It's all what can make me feel good now. So how do you how do you get your patients? How do you get people to understand that distinction? Like, hey, listen to me. And in six months, in a year, in five years, you're going to feel so good. You're going to be strong. You're going to be a, a complete human being again. Why, why do so many people not comprehend that? Yeah, you know... One of the problems we've had is we've normalized poor health. We look all around us and everyone is sick, essentially. You know, we talked about the statistics before. And so um, part of the problem with the messaging is that it, this is thought to be inevitable. Um, you know, we get sick as we get old. Um, and, you know, and don't worry about it because we have all these medications that can help, you know, mitigate those effects. Uh, and again, you know, what I usually the place I usually start uh, with my patients is, you know, look at the people around you. You know, uh, do you want to get the same results of them? Um, many of my patients, you know, come to me because they already have heart disease. Uh, so, you know, that discussion becomes easier to say, you know, you're already, you know, been damaged. Uh, do you want to stop the damage or do you want to allow it to continue? Um, and most people, you know, want to be better, want to get better health. They just don't know how to do it. And like I said earlier, the messaging has been so confusing uh, that you just need to try and then get them that clarity and say, you know, uh, this is what has worked. Uh, and, you know, I can point to my own example and say, this is what has worked for me. And now, you know, hundreds of, you know, patients that I've worked with and thousands and thousands of people that are, you know, out there in the communities uh, that we can point to. So thankfully, this message is getting out there more and more and more and more people are waking up to these facts. Uh, but the first thing is you got to want to improve. Uh, you have to know why you want to improve. Uh, and so that's one of the early things that I focus on with, with, you know, patients that are coming to me, I say, why do you want to get better? Why do you want to change? And if they're clear on the why, that's going to be the most powerful force for keeping them on the right path. That's perfect. That is perfect. So I think we'll wrap it up there. But um, I want to say thank you, not only for appearing today, but just for spreading the good information online, on Twitter, on Instagram, and just being a resource that people can turn to because you do have to reject some of the common knowledge and accepted information. And where do you turn? You know, you don't know where to turn, but Dr. Ovedi is out there 
providing the good information, that's where you turn. You turn to the people that are speaking honestly, speaking their truth, and uh, it's a great resource. So thank you for that. Yeah, it's great, uh, great speaking with both of you again, and uh, look forward to more future conversations so that we can continue to spread this word together. Oh, we'll we'll awesome. spread it. I just I'm going to point out three facts before we end it that I learned today. Cholesterol is, is good for you. It's not killing you. Cardio makes you fat. <laughs> and sugar is a deadly addictive substance. So I appreciate it, Dr. Ovedia. And, and you don't need tobacco to live. Take that one home. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll see all you guys next week. You know where to find us, fraternityofexcellence.com, Path to Excellence Facebook group. We will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to today's Path to Excellence podcast. Join the free Facebook community, Path to Excellence, and then head on over to fraternityofexcellence.com and join now.